Ian and Puck on your home for the 12th man in the NFL. Seattle Sports Radio 950, KJR. Alex Brink in just a couple minutes. Talk about the Cougs and also about Oregon's new starting quarterback. All the reports now are coming out. Uh, Aaron Fentress from CSN just sent a tweet out a minute ago. That sounds like they're going to indeed make the change to the true freshman from Eugene, Oregon, playing for his hometown team. What a thrill that will be doing it against the number five team in the country. Well, Congrats, it's uh, always nice to make your, your debut if he does get the call, and I would suspect he would if you, you burned his red shirt last week against the Cougs. Actually, then somebody said he played against UC Davis, too. So oh, maybe did? that was maybe, oh, okay. yeah. But I. I well, that would be the first part of the year. Yeah, it wouldn't even matter at that point. So, yeah, they're, oh my goodness. You make I your mean, first start against against that team. They were probably expecting a soft yeah. landing for him throughout the year. Mop-up duty like last weekend and things like that. But I mean, it gives the defense a little bit of a different look. But you thought Prukop was hurt, didn't you? Did you think he looked hurt? I thought he looked hurt against yeah. the Cougs, yeah. I thought there was something wrong with him. Whether it was He didn't run, hardly. Yeah, And there were times where he could have run where they focused all their attention i mean it got to the point when they're running their their read zone stuff that the entire defense just went to freeman and they just left prukup all by himself there was a play early they went forward on fourth down didn't get it he could have he could have run up the middle for the first down it was wide open for him and he he chose that the throw was incomplete so I, I don't know i just kind of felt there was something wrong with him uh it was a little off I don't know if this means anything, and maybe it does or doesn't. I, Ems just sent out a release a short time ago. They've they've named a new ballpark operations director for Safeco Field. I mean, another off the field change, and maybe I don't even know who the the previous guy was. New that's ballpark a big, operator. Now it's Trevor Goodby. All right, Trevor. Uh, experienced baseball facilities and operations manager named the new vice president of ballpark operations. So cool. I don't know if they turfed somebody in the process and have been <clears> running Safeco for a while, but uh, so what happens? I mean, what what is uh. I mean, can people stand up during during the game now? No, I think what happened. It sounds like I bet the, I bet the bro zone out there at center field got too out of control, so they better bring bring in a new sheriff to run things. The yes. bro zone. <laughs> yeah, the bro zone's good. Yeah, maybe just fun. maybe just got a little out of just control. Just allow fans. Here's yeah. my one thing. A couple of things for 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 the yeah. for the bros. Uh, for anyone for for the for the blue, for the uh, is it the green jackets or blue jackets? Do they wear green or blue? They have green green out for there, the green right? jackets. Yeah. Whoever runs the green jackets, yeah. allow people to stand up. On two strikes or one strike yeah. or any time. Sure, sure. That would be that'd And be, allow the girlfriends to kiss, okay? Or the or the boyfriends. Or hold hands even. Let's stop kicking didn't, people out. Didn't they even get upset with holding hands, I think, at I, one I, point? I think I got a little upset. Other than that, it's been great. Hey, Kai, let me tell you one quick surprise I had. And is can it, the dancing, dancing ground keepers come back? I've always kind of liked that. Where did that go? Not, Why did that leave? I don't know. Did, were they not there as much this year? They didn't. I don't think they did it once. Well, some will text us at 4945. I don't ever recall seeing, oh, the Christofferson dancing at all. Maybe yeah. he's got a, a bad hip, bad knee. I don't yeah, know. it might be. Uh, I, I got one thing while we dial up Alex Brink right now. Uh, Adam, go ahead and give him a shout. I was blown away. I was absolutely – I was blown away on, on Sunday in New York by how quiet the Jets fans were. I thought that would be like the unruly, loud, mm. that would be your typical New York fan base, you know. And, mm. and, and listen, they had reason to cheer early on. They were, sure they were going up and down the field. It's the oddest place I've ever been. Like, like huh. just a quiet stadium. Could be a Seattle thing. I mean, it's not a rival Seattle, yeah, but it's I, still Seattle's a you know, well because a really really good opponent. When you said standing up at the ballpark, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is at CenturyLink. I mean, literally uh, that lower half of the stadium yeah, stands Ian, the there, entire there is game. Nothing. I, I agree in, in the NFL that compares to what transpires sure. down there on a Sunday. No, I, you know, L.A. 
there are a lot of people standing. It was a first game, albeit, and I bet that place will become maybe more and more of a factor. But it's just, you know, watching Husky Stadium on Friday. Oh, electric. The Jets fans were on their ass the entire game. It was a, the latest arriving crowd I've ever seen and the earliest departing crowd I've seen in a long time. It was just a weird, huh. weird atmosphere because, you know, you would just think that that – when I think of the Jets, I just think of – just these these guys that are you know dragging their knuckles and looking looking to raise hell and screaming and yelling and dying and you know is Gastineau going to make an appearance and play in this game? Not Mike, but Mark. Uh, you know, where's Joe Klecko? And and it just is a very very quiet. Is crowd. The, the, the the fire hat fire truck guy there still? I didn't the, see that him. Fan? I didn't see him. Now I will say this: right next to the media interview room and across from the Seahawks locker room was the holding cell area for all the guys that got a little out of control. How many Seahawks fans? Uh, Three that I saw. (laughs) That's funny you ask that. That's good. Three that I saw. Three. One guy going, what did I do? I mean, couldn't even speak, couldn't stand. Girlfriend with the tats uh, on the neck where where she was, you know, tattooed neck lady there. She was even more messed up. Let me just say this, all right? (laughs) I I, I don't judge someone if they've ever been in a a, a football stadium (laughs) holding cell. Okay. Before we mock them, each one of those Wait people, a second. Wait a second. Each okay. one of those people down there yeah. have their own stories. Oh, they were stories. Of how that happened and transpired. Yeah. Yeah. They're not evil people. No. So before we pay this. Where did you stay? Which one did you? Which, well, I, which, I didn't say. I didn't say me. I'm just saying. Which one not, did you spend time in? Just not paint this. Is there, is there one at, Is there one at Martin Stadium? Yeah, and it's heated. <laughs> Let's get to Alex Brink. Play fake, look out, Brink has to unload, he's got a man wide open, touchdown Cougars! But what great heroics by Alex Brink! It's time for Ian and Puck's weekly conversation with former WSU quarterback Alex Brink. Brought to you by No Lie Brewhouse, a Washington State craft brewery born and raised in Coug Nation and brewing in Spokane, and a proud supporter of Washington State University. Now with Alex Brink, here's Ian and Puck. Well, listen, first and foremost, big thanks to No Lie Brewhouse, beautiful Spokane, Washington. We'll look and see what they got going on seasonally right now. My man John Bryant sent me an email the other day. We're going to do a little tasting coming up, Puck, for No Lie Brewing. Okay. Uh, but Alex Brink joins us here on the Zeke's Pizza oh. Hotline. Newly married. He plunged in. Huh? How yeah. about that? Congratulations, our friend. Huh? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. I saw the wedding photos. Your your sock game on point. Sock game was on point. Uh, my bride stole the show. That's really all that mattered. So, yeah. and uh, we had ourselves some fun. So, who fought without a hitch? Who finds you for getting married during football season? Who? What kangaroo court? Where Where do you pay that fine? Um, I've gotten it from all sides. I'm not gonna lie. I got it from every. But the best part is. Well, maybe not the best part, but she's a huge Duck fan. They played out at Lincoln on Saturday when we were getting married. We had the game on in, in kind of the house, the venue where we were at. Soon as the ceremony ends, all these Duck fans rush in to watch the last, like, three or four minutes or whatever it was. It was It's some of the funniest pictures you've ever seen. And my bride is sitting in the middle in her wedding gown awesome. watching the game on a couch. Awesome. <laughs> good. You married the right gal. Very right. good. And you had a weird honeymoon, right? You went somewhere and didn't go somewhere? What happened? <laughs> yeah. We uh, were supposed to go to Costa Rica. We're really excited about it. Um, hours before our flight, we got a uh, email saying a volcano was erupting in Costa Rica and that the airport had shut down. So we had to throw a little curveball. We switched it all up, and we ended up uh, down in Disneyland, matter of fact, and then did 
uh, Southern California, Newport Beach, and Catalina. So we had a blast. Very good. Very good. Well, Did congratulations. Did they have a volcano erupted in Mexico, too? Just the other oh. day, I believe, yeah. Oh, well, that's sign well, of the least, apocalypse. Hey, you got you, you went to Disneyland. Mm. Yeah. Nothing like on your honeymoon place. going down Splash Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> there exactly. you go. Hey, uh, before we get into Washington State and what they did to Oregon this weekend, I, I, and maybe you can kind of take us through it, the, the Oregon situation, uh, a guy from your neck of the woods, your school, right, your high school? Yep, Sheldon High School. Yeah, uh, the Oregon Ducks are going to go with a new quarterback. They're going to start uh, Justin, is it Herbert? Or is it A. Bear? Herbert. Oh. It is Herbert. Damn, I wanted it to be like Bobby Bear. Yeah. So he's, he's not a Cajun. Okay. No. Uh, Justin Herbert <laughs> is going to start this weekend against the Washington Huskies. What can you tell people about him? Well, you know, uh, uh, being honest, and this is not being the, the Sheldon High School homer, Justin Herbert is an absolute phenom talent. And it's amazing that he got um, overlooked uh, coming out of high school. And a lot of it had to do with him breaking his leg after his after three games into his junior year. Now in those three games, his junior year, which was his first year starting because they had a, a couple of good quarterbacks before him, he had thrown for 10 touchdowns and no interceptions and then rushed for another three touchdowns. So he was doing some good things, got hurt, got overlooked in the recruiting process because he was a three-sport athlete, um, really talented baseball, basketball player, and just kind of went that route. And then his senior year had a monster senior year. Um, I know some Pac-12 schools looked at him, but, you know, it wasn't. And UW was actually one of those, but obviously had a pretty good one in Jake Browning coming in. And so they decided um, Oregon ended up being his only offer, his only major Division One offer coming out of high school. And But he's, you know, 6'5", uh, about 225 pounds, and can run and throw it. And so whether he plays great, you know, against Washington this week or not, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Do, do you, I, What did you hear about the competition – leading up to the season with him and Prukup, was it was it kind of neck and neck and then they just aired on, hey, we'd like to redshirt him and not play him? Is that ultimately why they went with Prukup? No, you know, I, here's, here's what I kind of heard what, what happened was that, you know, Prukup kind of came out of the spring with some of the other guys, Travis Johnson and, and some of the other guys in there in that group as the leading candidate. And then Justin Herbert, he wasn't an early enroll guy. He showed up in the fall like, you know, like, most freshmen should do, but a lot of guys don't nowadays. Um, he showed up uh, for fall camp, and right away, you know, he's like fourth or fifth on the depth chart and shows his talent right away, but he jumped, you know, leapfrogged all those other guys, but, you know, they felt comfortable with where Prukup was at after the spring. He had the experience, and so it was more that um, Herbert, you know, bypassed all the other guys who had no experience because of his talent level, um, and then they were going to redshirt him and use him maybe as a backup, but then once Prukup kind of started struggling – you know, it's like, well, maybe we need to look at this kid as being the future of this program. What, what, what would you expect to see from him against that team? I mean, that's a hell of a start. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming all hell's breaking loose. It must be Armageddon down there right now in Eugene, with uh, yeah. with where they are. Now they're going to put him in there in the fire against the number five team in the country, maybe the best defense west of the Mississippi. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a first start for um, you know for a young player, and it's going to be tough. What I what I think you can expect from him is some big plays with his feet because, um, you know, people don't realize how fast he is. So I, I think he's going to make some big plays with his feet. He's going to have a hard time, you know, if he's asked to drop back and throw the football downfield, I think, you know, he's going to be a little wide-eyed. Um, that defensive front for UW obviously is really talented as well as, you know, the secondary guys, really the whole unit. Um, and so I think he's going to have a tough time dropping back. But if they can get him on the run, get him outside, he throws well on the run. I think he'll make some big plays, but he's also going to have some big mistakes that, you know, as, as any player would in that situation. It does 
hope that he gets to play at home at Austin Stadium. So if he can get a little early momentum going, you know, he might be able to hang um, early on. But I think there will be some crucial mistakes that he'll make as a freshman for hey, sure. Hey, Alex, before we move on, just one last one on him. For someone who is just jo- just joining us, give like a, a scouting report on him uh, if he in- indeed does get the start on Saturday. Yeah, I know you kind of touched on it, but just kind of like wrap it up. Yeah, you know, I think, again, super talented, um, big, strong arm, good feet, can run. And so a guy that will make plays on the run more than anything, um, tough dropping back in the pocket, but big arm guy can go downfield. And so something you got to be aware of. All right, uh, Alex, uh, he'll take over because the Washington State defense did a number on that Oregon offense. Let's talk about that before we kind of move on and we'll talk about Stanford. But, I mean, there were a couple things that jumped out at me in that game on Saturday. One would be Washington State running the ball right down Oregon's throat, but maybe more importantly and and maybe a better indication, a sign of things to come, the fact that the Washington State defensive line finally came alive. Yeah, I thought that was pretty special. Now, you know, Oregon, obviously a young offensive front for redshirt freshmen playing on it, but we said the same thing about Eastern Washington and really didn't get any push in that game. And so I think that defensive line came motivated. Coach Joe Salavea got them going, the defensive line coach, and, and that was really impressive, you know, that performance. And it, it bodes well heading into a Stanford game where you're going to need strong D-line play, which is one of the things that happened last year that allowed Washington State to be in that game against, you know, probably a tougher Stanford team that year. The success of them running, again, running the football, this is, you know, two weeks in a row now they've done it. You know, I, I, I keep having this the same conversation with with any with anyone and everyone about this, that – if you take those three running backs, you put them up against anyone in the conference, they, and it seems odd to say based on kind of Mike Leach and his offense, they are as a group as talented as anyone, I think, in this conference, the way that they can run the ball. Do you think they found something in this, or is this just something that's happened in the past two games? Or are they getting more to a balanced offense under Mike Leach? You know what, I honestly believe they're getting into a more balanced offense. First of all, a ton of credit to Jim Master, the running back coach who's recruited all three of these guys. James Williams, a guy that is a, a huge talent, was super underlooked uh, or overlooked, excuse me, come out of high school because he got hurt his senior year, first game of his senior year. But Jim Master recognized the talent. He ends up in Pullman, and he's, I mean, he's a difference maker as, as a redshirt freshman. Now, um, as far as the change in or philosophy, I do see some things that lend to that. We've talked about in the past how, you know, the control of the running game comes from Luke Falk at the line of scrimmage and the box count. You know, how many guys are in the box? Do we have numbers? Well, you saw the first play of the game against Oregon was by all rights a a look to throw the football, and they still ran the ball. So I think there's play calls coming off the sideline mm-hmm. now from Coach Leach saying, hey, let's run the football no matter what because we've got a good offensive line and good running backs. Yeah, I, I, James Williams, I'm going to go back to him for just a second. I mean, we, you know, you always hear about the guys, Alex, and, and you know, you were one of those guys. You, you, you know, you're a freshman. You're going through that first year. You're red shirt, and you're kind of hanging around. And you hear about the guys that are starring in whatever they do. Wazoo doesn't have the Thursday Night Lights thing and all that. And, and we saw video last year of, uh, they call him Booby Williams, James Booby Williams, and he's, like, going crazy. And you're thinking, well, this looks cool, but sometimes it doesn't translate. He, he's every bit as translate. How special can this guy be? I, I think he can be incredibly special. And, and I'm, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here by saying that he reminds me of Jerome Harrison, uh, a running back I played with in college. I mean, one of the best ever at Washington State. I remember the spring before oh, that Jerome came in from junior college, he did the same thing. He was unbelievable in spring practices. And we were like, 
there's, is this really going to translate? And sure enough, it did, right? 1,900 yards rushing his senior year. And I see similarities. Their ability to cut one cut at full speed um, in the open field to get away from that last defender, then the speed to pull away. I mean, he's a guy that has a, a ton of talent and a bright future ahead of him. Well, 14 catches by the running backs. I mean, they had the six – they ran for 300. They also had – they caught the ball 14 times yeah, out of the backfield. Look at Morrow's numbers. I mean, yeah. just enormous. Yeah. I mean, just – which is fantastic. If you tell me Luke Falk's going to throw one touchdown pass in a game, I'm telling you, well, that was a bad day for Washington State, and it was anything but that. Now they go down to Stanford. What a challenge that is. I, I, I'm assuming we won't see that same Stanford team that we saw in Seattle on Friday night. You know, I think that's, I think that's fair to say, but, uh, you know, i got to be honest. I, I don't see the same Stanford team that I've seen in the past few years. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think um, losing Kevin Hogan is a much bigger issue than people are making it out to be from last year. I mean, he's a guy that his ability with his feet to run kind of the read option, then drop back and pass when he needed to, took a ton of pre- pressure off Christian McCaffrey in that running game. And right now, Stanford is incredibly one-dimensional. Obviously, they've had some injuries and that sort of thing, but they also don't throw the ball downfield off play action nearly as well as they have in the past. So that, again, makes teams key on McCaffrey. So that's what you saw with Washington doing such a great job at the line of scrimmage. Um, And then, you know, when you talk about their defense, obviously still stout and solid, but with injuries have been, have taken some hits and it's not the same front seven that we've seen, that we've come to know from Stanford. So uh, I think Washington State has as good a chance as, anybody to go down to Stanford and get a win, um, especially coming off a confidence builder against Oregon at home. And David Shaw said today on the conference call that, that Holder and Meeks uh, likely are out again on Saturday. And so you, you'll see that same secondary that had their immense struggles against Washington this past weekend. Yeah, and that's, you know, when you face Washington State, and, you know, last year Washington State found a ton of success throwing the football against some of those veteran type of guys already, and now you got young players in there. Um, it's really going to come down to – is the offensive line for Washington State up to the challenge um, to take on the pressure of you know that defensive front force? Again, I think they match up very well with them. And now with the added threat of running the football, that keeps Stanford much more off balance than past years where we've seen them pin their ears back and just go get the Washington State quarterback. Without going negative here, Alex, uh, Alex Brink brought to you by No Lie Brewhouse. I just – there's part of me though that wants to bang my head against the wall, like like what we've seen, especially. I mean, that's I know Oregon's not the same Oregon team and everything else. Goodness me, win an opening game, you know? I mean, this is because you see, like we saw what we saw on Saturday was a team that all the talent we thought we we knew about, whether it was Hercules getting to the quarterback, whether it was you know a pretty good secondary at times with Pippins and and and, and Moulton and others. And obviously, you know, the, the three running backs and everything, we kind of saw it all come together. You just kind of wonder why it has to take a few weeks every year. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I think it, it, you know, it comes from the top, obviously, with Coach Leach. But it also, you know, clearly a classic case of, you know, these guys may be spending a little too much time in the offseason um, reading about how good they are and how they should beat everybody and start off 3-0 and and go to game day against Oregon, this, that, and the other. And I think, um, you know, that it was very clear what happened those first couple games. And now, you know, they got their feet back underneath them. I will say this, too, for Coach Leach, he does about as good a job as anybody – I've ever seen in the country getting the troops motivated again. You know, that's a really hard thing to do with college kids. And he finds a way to do it in his own unique way. So if there is a silver lining, I guess that's it. But they still got to go out and, and execute and find that same magic they had last year. Well, it starts at the farm on, uh, on Saturday. Alex, congratulations on the marriage, yep. and we will uh, check with you next week, my friend. Thanks, dude.
I appreciate you guys. Thank there you. There you go. That's Alex Brink joining us. Uh, no lie, Brewhouse. Brewers, a born and raised IPA, the big juicy IPA. Uh, I don't know, try that. The, the Comrade or the Copper Donkey, a, donkey, a couple of their, uh, their seasonals that are out there right now as well. It's no lie, L I, Brewhouse.com is the website. Big thanks to them for supporting us and bringing Alex Brink to us each and every week. We'll come back. Well, the Pac-12, I know it doesn't get, it's getting zero love nationally, Puck, and, and because you've got teams beating each other up, which happens every year seemingly in this conference, and it's the one conference that when they do that, they get no credit. I would say this, probably about as entertaining a year as we've had so far, lots of surprises, and we're going to talk about that coming up next. Ian and Puck on your home for the 12th man in the NFL, Seattle Sports Radio 950, KJR. Browning, scrambling and Fourth and two for Stanford. Something went wrong there with the snap. Christ was not expecting it. Joe Mathis came darting in. And we've got a turnover on downs. Cougars running. Wide open up the middle. Jamal Morrow, touchdown. James Williams. Six rushing touchdowns for the Cougars tonight. Well, it's courtesy of uh, ESPN and uh, the Pac-12 Network. Some of the games from the weekend that was. What a weekend it was when you're looking at the Pac-12, which once again is on the verge of being left out of the national championship race unless Washington runs the table. I think they'll have to run the table, not think. They will have to run the table, which is certainly possible. Parity once again reigns supreme, Puck, as the University of Washington, the only undefeated team left overall, in the Pac-12 Conference at 5-0. and Everyone else has at least one loss. Utah, Arizona State picking up their first ones this weekend as well. Colorado only with one blemish. It was on the road to what, what may, that may look like a pretty good loss if they're able to finish off with one or two losses at the end of the year since they lost at Michigan. But uh, where should we start? Where do you want to start with the Pac-12 as we uh, look back? Well, if you look, weekend? I mean, if you look back at last week, I mean, you got to start with, with, I mean, I mean, Washington's domination of Stanford. I mean... Uh, you know, I, I think that I thought they'd win. I think we said what twenty seven fourteen or twenty seven thirteen, but didn't see, think they'd win like that. We said in the beginning of the year, as we were previewing the conference about this stretch of games for Stanford, that this would be potentially a, d- a down year for them because of the stretch of games early on. Yeah. To me, the immediate red flag with Stanford was the Kansas State game because that's not a good. Rel- they historically are not a good offensive team, especially throwing the football. And you look back on it, the final score will, well, maybe Stanford had their way with them. Well, they didn't. And I think Kansas State, the fact that they threw for 300 yards combined in that game, they had two quarterbacks that played. There's a red flag about that defense. And Alex touched on it. They don't get the same push up front that they've had in the past. The Thomas kid certainly is good. They're not that big. Right, they're about two. I mean, I, I looked at it today. They're two sixty-five, two seventy up front. They don't have those big guys. I think they've had in the past. Now, tend to have you know they're athletic, sure, but the quarterback. I mean, I, you, know, you go back to last year when when the Cougs almost beat them. Kevin Hogan was the difference in that second half. He rushed for one hundred and twelve yards. Uh, Burns is not that guy. He can't be that guy. Uh, and doesn't possess it. And he's he's frankly he's not a good quarterback, and so they are missing that element of their offense, and, and Kevin Hogan was a big part of it. And they well, lost a ton. They lost three linemen. 
Yeah. Blake Martinez, linebacker, there's a lot of guys. I thought everyone thought they were just going to plug and play, and I think they're finding out that that's not the case. Well, I, I think you know Blake Martinez, we talked about you lose a quarterback on both sides of the ball. You lose Hogan, you lose Blake right. Martinez, your defensive quarterback as well. And, and you know, I, I it's not so much, but it is, I guess, in a sense, we told you so. And I remember, you know, you do, I know you do some stuff with uh, with the Cook Fan guys, a podcast, right? And, and we, I do stuff with Locke. I think we all had the same kind of thought outside looking in. You would learn and know a lot about Stanford in the first month of the year and probably even up in the first you know month and a half because of the schedule. USC, UCLA. They eke out a couple wins there, but they just you just kind of got the feeling they weren't the same football team, and all those things catch up to you. There is a cyclical thing in football. Alabama's and the Ohio State, some of those teams can maybe survive that. But when you have guys that are three-year starters, two-year starters playing at an all-conference level – it's not just plug and play and have that same level of play necessarily the next year with the understudy. And we're seeing that on the offensive line. We're seeing that. The Thomas kid was really disappointed. I mean, Rob Rank talked about him on Friday. I was thinking, boy, this guy must be the real deal. He looked, honestly, like he wanted to tap out. I, I mean, I just I saw a guy who was like, like they, just overwhelmed in that game. They don't have a lot of – the speed of the linebackers is, is missing. Their speed of their, their secondary is missing. They'll be yeah. But but I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the brakes on it. The, to me, Friday that was more about Washington. That sure. that is a that sure. is a scary football team. I think that uh, after the Arizona game, that was a wake up call to them. That was a yep. they were facing an offense that maybe would give them a little bit more issues in Stanford's offense. I think they line up better against the Stanford offense. But and Dawkins was special. What they can do defensively, how fast they are, the fact that they can get home, sack them eight times, and not really ever blitz, right, uh, is huge. And you know they just have a special secondary. Uh, and I think what's what's cool about watching them play football is that you watch all these games over the weekend, and, and what do you see? It's the same thing. Offense everywhere, right? Everyone's scoring 40 points, and, and they're running the same type of offense. They are an old-school bunch. That is a defense-first team. Yep. And it, it is a throwback to you know that 91 team. It's a throwback to some, uh, some of those of, uh, better teams. It's why Nick Saban ultimately has been so successful. Uh, it's not because of the offense. It's because of his defense. So... They keep playing that way. They will find themselves at the end of the year in that conversation. I didn't see any of it, but uh, Colorado did what you would expect a, a good team and maybe even a better-than-good team do. They dispatched Oregon State rather easily. Steven Montez threw for just under 300 yards, three touchdowns in the game. And, and they I mean, Oregon State is the bottom feeder again of the conference. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Got they, some, I mean, they, you know. if you haven't watched Shea Fields play, the, the wide receiver for Colorado, Shea Fields is a stud. I remember the – what were they going to do without Nelson Spruce? This kid is walked wide right in and, and is just a, a monster. Pair of two, fre- two pair of two freshmen, right? Hundred wide receivers, seventy yards receiving. Yeah, they uh, are actually two freshmen are at Cal, which we, we should get to Cal because that's a team with <laughs> that quarterback. That was and, a big win. I mean Huge. that 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 quarterback is is able to get things done. California knocking off Utah twenty eight to twenty three, and Davis Webb. With a couple of true freshmen and a transfer senior wide receiver, they can just flat out sling the ball defense, over the place. Though. I mean, yeah. that, that when you look back in that game, that's the defense. Well, in, Utah, defense in Utah, they'll tell you the same thing. In Utah, they'll say it's the same old story with them. Their defense can play well; it doesn't matter because their offense is always going to be behind well, their defense. And I guess in this conference, you better have something going on. But and they lost their starting center for the year to yeah. Utah as well. Now, that's so an impressive win for Cal. I yeah. mean, I think, and it's at home. But the fact they come out of there against a what. You know, besides Colorado, you're looking at Utah kind of being the team in the South to beat them at home, and be I think to beat them in that fashion. I think you told me that Cal was going to win by scoring 28 points. Yes, like oh, okay, okay. Well, that's impressive. Yeah. I think that's the most impressive part about it. Uh, and then USC, I, I don't yeah. know if they showed that ASU is a fraud, 
Uh, but Clay Helton is, you know, he's going to be proved right that game for making the switch there at quarterback. Again, ASU, I think it was a paper record because they didn't play anybody. The reason that they were 4-1, and one, but we'll see. Uh, what USC can do the rest of the year. I mean, I've been watching all the shows, Clay Helton. I mean, it's it's who's going to be fired first between Clay Helton and Charlie Strong yeah. and Mark Helfrich. Mark Helfrich is, a, is, so is in that conversation too, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, because Les Miles is already out, so the uh, the winner's already in the clubhouse with LSU. Sam Darnold, who replaced uh, Max Brown here, three touchdown passes. He also ran for another one. He's averaging 10 yards an attempt, and, and they may have found their guy. And we and, talked about it earlier. You know what? Sometimes you go with a young guy if he's just better. And in this yeah. case, it seems like Darnold's the and guy. Josh Rosen finally looked like Josh Rosen, like the hype machine Josh Rosen mm. against Arizona. 45-24, they knocked He just obliterated, obliterated other wild. I watched, I watched a chunk of that game as well after the Cougars game was, was over, 350 and, and three touchdowns, I think. Mm-hmm. Rosen, I was, ta- I was talking to Dick Beard about this. There's something about him. You know, you, know, you can't put my finger on it, and, and – you're watching through a television screen, so maybe it's re- this is probably the most unfair thing to say, but I just watch how he is, how he interacts. You know, I, I don't know if he's physically he's the guy. Like physically, he's got everything you want in a quarterback, right? There seems to be the old no one no one went to his birthday party thing with this guy. You know, I just it's is he mm. the whereas look, Sefal Leafal may or may not get his job back. There's no doubt who the leader on that Colorado football team is. You know, like there's no doubt. Jake Browning, there's no doubt who the leader is. If the kids are talking about this year, what a difference a year right. makes. I look at Rosen, it's just like he's the quarterback for UCLA, and then there's everybody else. I, I wonder how that – and, again, maybe that's a really unfair thing could, to say. I mean, it I'm could just, be a privileged I just, lifestyle. I, mean, I just lives, watch him on the sidelines, and I'm like, yeah, no one's going to your birthday party, He kid. lives two doors <laughs> down. He lives like two or three doors down from his head coach. Yeah. I mean, that's a, but that's a, that's a loaded family, so – so this week, what do we got? We've got, of course, we talked to Cougs and we talked about Utah, Stanford. We talked as well about the Washington and Oregon. Uh, elsewhere in the conference this week, ooh, uh, I mean, Colorado, USC. There, there you go. You got It's not the USC of old, and Clay Helton's in trouble. But good chance for Colorado to go try to prove something again this time on the road. Well, I think Colorado. I mean, Colorado. They they sent a big message if they beat USC, they go three and zero in the conference. Uh, UCLA sitting there at one and one. I don't think UCLA is going to have a problem, but they are going to Arizona State. Let's say they slip up. You know, Jim Moore, one thing about Jim Moore, he's, he's always due for a, one of those clunkers. <laughs> He'll kick a game. Could he kick a game at ASU? Boy, did they do that. I mean, all of a sudden now you're talking about a Buffs team that, that is 3-0, and 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 really right now at that point ASU would win so they'd be a game out, kind of controlling their destiny, which yeah. everyone predicted before the season started that Colorado would be the team uh, there in the South. But, again, this, this is another week that is highlighted uh, by the two Washington schools. Certainly what happens at, at 4.30 down in Eugene, uh, Washington, Oregon, uh, for Washington to uh, – to, uh, I thought Ted Miller wrote something really good today on their ESPN blog that their head tells them they've arrived, mm-hmm. uh, but their heart is telling them that they haven't yet. What he meant by that was they need to beat Oregon to truly arrive. They need to get past that Oregon roadblock for them to be like, okay, we finally have done it, 6-0, and and then now you look at the rest of the schedule. They'll have to back-to-back trip. What would get a little dicey is that going to be those back-to-back road games, Utah Cal, mm-hmm. before the Apple. And uh, yeah, Utah Cal. And then uh, they got Arizona State at home. They'll, they'll should pace them when it's all said and done. And as you look through the North, Washington State, they knock off Stanford, and Cal does as expected and wins. 
you end up having a three-team race for that Pac-12 North. Washington very, very much in control of things. And the two teams behind them, they probably feel pretty good about those. Those teams will kick ones along the way. Yeah. It's Washington's – it really feels like Washington's to lose, especially if you're a Washington fan, you want Wazoo to win this weekend. You've already taken care of Stanford. You've got a game and a half lead on them. In, in essence, you can kind of wave goodbye to them if Wazoo knocks them off mm-hmm. this weekend and you only have two to worry about, one of whom – uh, two of whom you play as the year goes on. So there you go. Conference of Champions probably won't have a team unless Washington runs the table in the uh, in the championship parade. But uh, it's been a fun year so far, and that's the great thing. Pac-12 after dark, although the, the, the finishes weren't as crazy this weekend mm-hmm. as they have been the last couple. We'll come back. Pete Carroll spoke yesterday. What did he say as the Seahawks going to the bye week? You also hear a quick comment from Jimmy Graham. Throw me the ball. I will be the only one to catch it. We'll hear that coming up next. Ian and Puck on your home for the 12th man in the NFL. Seattle Sports Radio 950, KJR. Ian and Puck with you. It's a bye week for the Seahawks. They're off. Come back at it on Monday with a practice in the afternoon. In fact, they basically shut things down out there. Pete Carroll held his news conference, though, before everyone was off for a week's vacation. Actually, some of the guys don't think even made their way back to Seattle. Uh, went off to get some rest, unless you had to get some sort of treatment this week. But uh, Carol spoke yesterday right after uh, this show went off the air during Softy's show. And we'll hear from Jimmy Graham in a little bit. We, I, we found the soundbite I want to play because it's just it's, it tells you, it, it, as a Seahawks fan, you're just going to nod your head and go, yes, 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 give me more, give me more, give me more. But yesterday, Carol talked about how big Jimmy Graham has been. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, pretty soon we're, we're going to start looking past that a little bit. But I, I think still to this point, you know, that he's come back to back and had a couple hundred yard games and, and uh, in, in such a spectacular fashion. Uh, it's a great statement about his, you know, his ability to accomplish all that he did in the rehab, to get his mind right and his body right to do what he's doing. Um, and it just makes so many cool plays, you know. Um, so it's a big statement about, about him. You know, he used to be a guy who just kind of felt like it was a given he's going to get 100 yards receiving. You know, he just that's, that's what he's going to do. Uh, but he goes back-to-back 100-yard games for Seattle, and all of a sudden Jimmy Graham has become a big, big part of this offense. And if that's the case and you can add everybody else into the mix and Russell Wilson gets healthy, I think we're starting to see why Pete Carroll, and we'll hear some more sound in a second for Pete, why Pete Carroll thinks this might be as good a team as he's had. Well, we we joked we we joked after the you know the first couple of weeks or the first week saying if if you're not going to use him then ju- just get rid of the guys and mm-hmm. I think that in the last few weeks maybe it's because he's gotten healthier whatever has happened it's to me there seems to be this isn't just that he got healthier that there was a a demand or a mandate is the better word a mandate to get him involved in the offense to do some different things with him because you're wasting an extremely immense talent mm-hmm. by not game by not making defense game plan for him and again I, I would just go back to what Hugh said yesterday it's probably it's podcast up at sports radio kjr that the way that all those six catches happened they all happened with different routes different positions different alignment and that they moved him around so much he said that, that it's, it's just something that was unique uh, than even games last year when he had success that they moved him around more than they ever had he uh, he hadn't had back-to-back 100-yard games since 2013. He had four straight that particular season. Here's Graham after the game talking about the chemistry he's building up with Russell Wilson. You know, it's, it, it, it's uh, uh, you know, he believes in me. I mean, he really believes in me. I mean, especially sometimes when, when a guy's running with me, you know, like right next to me, he just believes that if he gives me a ball that I'm going to make a play. And, and, and he's uh, um, there's a 
there's a couple special plays out there where you know he just he just had that belief in me and threw it up. Those back shoulder catches today, pretty good examples of that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, those are those are what I'm talking about. Where where a guys right next to me and and he just believes I'm gonna make a play on the ball. I always tell him that either I'm gonna get it or nobody will. And and uh, you know we're starting to move, kind of start moving that direction. That, that's that's the key. Starting to move in that direction, and and the belief and the ability and the thing is 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 that's why you get Jimmy Graham, right? Because those types of players, Julio Jones is a wide receiver, AJ Green to a certain extent, Brandon Marshall sometimes if he's healthy and has a quarterback. I mean, there there's a handful of guys in the league puck that are always open, right? They're they're seven eleven. They are well, always and open. He, and even I think he would he he kind of said it there. Even if he's not open, just he's open. I'm open. Never never covered. I mean, and well, just, who, what player? I mean, I'm going to answer this, and you probably can't. I don't think anyone can. What player in this league can defend him? One on one, no one can. No, nope. he's too big and fast. Yeah, I mean, look how they try to do. It. They try to get a cornerback on him. That didn't work. They try to get a safety on him with Pryor. That didn't work. They tried to put Lee, that the the Darren Lee, the freshman, or the freshman, the rookie linebacker. That didn't work. He's too fast for this. He's too fast for a linebacker. He's too big for the def- secondary. Yeah, I, 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 I'd say the closest thing to being able to Talib would be the only guy that I could think could probably match him. Up maybe, with him. yeah, but I think the closest thing that could really get to defending Jimmy Graham. I think there's two things. One, maybe Cam, but he's bigger than Cam. He's a lot bigger than Cam, and he plays on the same team now, so that's not going to happen. And the other thing that can defend Jimmy Graham is poor quarterback play. You know, I mean that's or yeah. poor offensive, you know, play calling because nothing else defends him. Uh, how about your offensive line, Jermaine Effetti, Mark Lewinsky? You're starting goods, Pete Carroll. Fortunate that Mark has done a really good job, Lewinsky. He, he's really solid at the left guard spot. Uh, acquiring uh, Jermaine Effetti, I mean, we've been thrilled to get him out. This is from the day we saw him on the practice field, we we realized that this is something really special. Um, you know, he's been there one one game so far, but if if you watch him in the game, he moves people. He makes the line of scrimmage move, and he takes up a a ton of space and pass protection. We're going to be better with, with him in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember which play it was. I, I don't know if it was the Spiller touchdown or if it was the McAvoy touchdown. But there was a scene where where Carroll's kind of is is not hugging him, but like kind of pumping him up as he's coming to the sideline. I think it was against Sheldon Richardson, and he just stonewalled him. He he took his two arms and just grabbed him, and it was like this: just held him. The entire, I mean, just and and he could not move. It is just one game, but that one game he looked he looked really good. Well, he looked and and it's not just that one game. I wouldn't right. necessarily, and maybe I'm downplaying. I I shouldn't downplay that one game because he looked good in the preseason and he looked good in practice. Well, the three the three interior guys, which I think it's key to have three of them working as you and everybody will tell you together in conjunction with one another. The three interior guys look good throughout the preseason. Throughout the preseason. But you take one of those guys out of that mix, and it, it looked different the first few weeks. It did. It just did. Jamarcus Webb is not – let's be honest. Jamarcus Webb is not a very good football player. He just their, isn't. Their pass protection. <laughs> this guy was a pretty the, good player. Looked the best at it all year. And uh, Pete Carroll, all that said, he's pretty happy with this football team. I've loved this team all along, seeing it coming. And uh, just the way that they've gone about the work – and all that we have a chance to be really good, and, and we just got to go out there and just keep doing it one week and one day at a time, one week at a time, and see where that leaves us. And that that's nothing to project what's going to happen at the end of the year. I don't know that, and uh, but I do know what these guys have put into it, and uh, how they're approaching it, and how determined they are, and how they practice, and how they've applied themselves. All just it's everything we're looking for, and so uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. There's a chance. 
Yeah, there's a chance. I, I think we're uh, we have a chance to because of the experience and the and the great leadership that we have, the development and the kind of the coming of age of the quarterback and and uh, you know I, I and we have our kicking game in order. You know, there's a lot of really good phases of our of our team that we can count on and. Um, we're, we're growing, uh, you know, with the guys up front on offense, but they're doing a nice job. And pass protection is, is a big deal to us right now, and we'll grow in the running game. Outside of the running back, mm-hmm. wh- why are they, why would they not be as good as 2013? Outside of the running back, Lynch. Overall depth in the defensive line. I mean, you got to keep in mind, Bennett and Averill were coming off the bench mm-hmm. that year. That would be it, I think. I think those two guys, I think, I think that, I think those two things, one, you don't have a, a borderline Hall of Fame guy getting the ball. But you have a quarterback who has now, he's different than the 2013 quarterback. You can rely more on him. Uh, your wide receiver core is better. You have a better, you have a playmaker at tight end. Uh, your secondary is older, more experienced. You probably, you're not as deep there in that secondary. But I would say that Jeremy Lane, in my opinion, would rank is on equal footing, if not better than Walter Thurman. The point of, of playing nickel, so and Deshaun sheds a, more a, physical, better against. Yeah, it, so yeah, but I think the defensive line. I mean, that was a that was a pretty special defensive line. They get Jefferson back; it'll help yeah. to get some depth because I think right now they've got a nice rotation going. They're yeah. in nickel. They're in nickel so much, you know, even in run rundowns. And I think part of that was the obviously the injury to Morgan. They tried to get him get, to get through it. He was certainly slowed and and wasn't able to do his normal thing. Now he's got the hernia surgery. But I think yeah, I I I, I can see that. They're different on the defensive line because they're not as big. You know, like their depth big. guys are smaller. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's Marsh, it's Clark, it's those guys coming in. But they, once they get Jefferson back, I think that'll help a little bit with the depth, and, and he'll continue to grow. And I like some, I like yeah. some things out of Marsh. I, I think yeah. Frank, Frank Clark will continue uh, to get better. But but I think that you look at that core of those defense. I know we got to go, but uh, the core of that defense, it's just older now. Yeah. No, I'm with They you. play together. We'll come back. We'll uh, check in Nigel Burton. Yes, the Husky alum from the Pac-12 Network. I'm sure he's still probably on cloud nine after Friday, but we'll get his thoughts on the entire conference. Our weekly visit with Nigel Burton brought to you by Georgetown Brewing. It's coming up next.